The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Valerie Wright with Wright Ideas Unlimited in West Palm Beach, Florida. And it is a beautiful day here today. Sorry for those of you who are experiencing bad weather. Uh, I'll be your guest host for today's show. I'm filling in for Dr. G, who's away on another assignment. Um, joining me today for this episode is co-host John Janetta, Executive Director of Heartland Family Services in Omaha, Nebraska, and Jenny Fruma. Jenny is the Associate Executive Director of the Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Service here in West Palm Beach, Florida. Want to Today our theme is, well, the monthly theme for this show is Does Culture Eat Strategy for Lunch, Leadership, and Value? And that's what we've been talking about all month. Today our subject is Leading and Sustaining Cultural Change. Over the course of the hour, we hope uh, to examine uh, does the organizational culture support the vision, desire, performance, and outcomes and before we launch into our topic, I want to offer uh, John and Jen an opportunity to tell you about who they are. I know they are on every week, but for the benefit of new um, listeners, Jenny and John, will you let them know who you are and some of the uh, experience you have related to our topic for today? Go ahead, John. Um, <laughs> well, thanks, Jenny. I was going to say the same. Um, <laughs> So I am the um, CEO of Heartland Family Service. We're a um, multi-service, family service um, agency, non-sectarian. We've been around about 138 years now, and uh, we serve um, individuals and children and families, about 50,000 a year from about, I think, 18 different locations now in seven communities in East Central Nebraska and Southwest Iowa. And uh, we have about uh, 336 full-time equivalent employees, and so we're fairly large. Our annual operating budget is around $23 million. And um, we have actually been, and, I, and I've been in this role, this is my, I'm closing in on the end of my fifth year. About, actually, I'm more like halfway through it, but um, we have been trying to implement a cultural change effort here ever since I arrived. It actually predated my arrival. And um, and that change is really focused on becoming uh, more trauma-informed. And what I mean by that is that as a human service agency, we work with a lot of uh, uh, people who have experienced some level of trauma, oftentimes really significant trauma. And so when they come to us for help, the worst thing we can do is to re-traumatize them because of the way we treat one another or the way we treat them. And so usually... Um, 
how we treat our clients isn't an issue. People here are, get that. They've been trained in that. Um, they're passionate about it. But sometimes we miss the mark in how we treat one another, uh, maybe not thinking about how that does impact our clients. And so uh, we initially started by trying to implement a model called the sanctuary model and um, had some had some success with that. But, you know, it's, it's an expensive endeavor. You have to fly people out to New York and get some training, and then you bring people back here and do some on-site training, and it's several year process. You can get certified if you'd like. And, um, but we thought maybe we could do it on our own. But we could, you know, it's not that complicated. We could read the information and just self-implement. And so that's how things got started. Again, that predated my arrival. When I arrived, there was, um, you know, efforts, a lot of con- talk about how do we get this going? How do we, how do we make sure that uh, implementation is um, more evenly, that we're getting execution evenly across the agency with so many different locations. And, and I forgot to mention, we have 50 different programs all focusing on different aspects of family life. And so, um, so we ended up deciding to, well, we really need to, if we're going to do this, we need to hire a consultant. We ended up actually picking a different model uh, that uh, it's called Creating Cultures of Trauma-Informed Care. And um, this year I've had the trainers come in and, and we have a steering committee and now we have work groups and we're really uh, implementing in a more formal, structured way. Great. We'll, we'll probably hear more about that as we talk about sustaining change today. We'll be interested to hear. Jenny, you want to jump in and tell our audience who you are and about your experience with leading change? Sure. sure. I, I was really interested in hearing what you were saying, John, because while we've worked together now as co-hosts for a long time, and I also know you and your work professionally from other things that we've kind of you know, done together, it's just really refreshing to hear it all again, which has been a while. So thank you. Um, I have been with Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Service for 27 years, going on 28 years, which is really hard for me to believe because I don't think of myself as that old. And um, we too are a social service agency. And the way I think of our organization is we strengthen our communities by helping people during challenging times in their lives. So as a nonprofit, we've been really working to change our culture. We have about 200 employees. Um, those also include enhanced companions who are um, out in the community kind of helping people maintain their own independence as older adults, optimizing their independence. And so we have about 60 <clears throat> excuse me, about um, 60 enhanced companions. So I, those are casual employees. So I really think of ourselves as an organization with a full-time equivalents of around uh, 180. And we've grown, you know, about 11% every year and have continued to grow. And so one of the challenges for us culturally has been how to meet our mission, how to have a philosophy of practice that talks to people with needs rather than the needy. And let me explain a little bit more of what I mean. I think that as an organization here in Palm Beach, we really want to be here for people, period. And that means that there are people who can pay for services as well as obviously those who cannot. And we've really culturally over the last couple of years worked very hard to increase our fee generation for service and have been 
relatively successful doing that. So that's just one thing that comes to mind when I think immediately of how we really have to work at culture and how do we keep sustaining that. Mm-hmm. I love that, Jenny. I, as you know, worked with Rudy Johnson, President and CEO of Neighborhood House Association, and one of the things he uh focused, as he says, laser focused on was changing uh, and creating a culture for Neighborhood House so that such that the clients, if they could afford services, would choose Neighborhood House anyway. Uh, And I think that speaks to what you're talking about. How are we serving? How are we treating people? Not as needy people, not as poor people, but how are we treating them within the culture? How do we think about them so that they feel like they would want our services if they had a million dollars to spend, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it just has all kinds of implications uh, for fundraising as well mm-hmm. as uh, being the place that people, even with, you know, from our affluent communities, know that they're going to get a service that is excellent. And for people who cannot afford the service, they get the same Absolutely. Um, I know we've been discussing culture this month, and we talked about it on last week's show, but um, for our audience today, let's start by just uh, having a general um, statement of what culture is. And I, I think about culture, you know, as a powerful force in the organization, but when we talk about it so people get a picture, what are we talking about? Um, Just a brief definition or overview of what culture is. So our new listeners or those who aren't familiar with culture in the organizational context will understand the the flow of the conversation today. Anybody want to respond to that? I I think of culture, um, it's probably not the definition that you would find if you open a book, but Mm -hmm. what it means to us at this organization is that it's really aligned with mission and it's really aligned with philosophy of practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think of those uh, processes, if you will, as slightly different from one another. I think that a mission with a vision is um, that which, we, which helps us understand why we exist, but it doesn't necessarily tell us how to do our work. And so I always think as culture being that which encapsulates both um, an alignment with obviously vision, but mission specifically, and then also philosophy of practice. Mm -hmm. Um, I would would agree with that. In my mind, it's uh, um, culture. You know, your strategic plan is what you're going to do. Your culture is how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think some of um, what we think about when we talk about culture, shared values in the organization, uh, some of those symbols, the things that represent the organization, how people uh, Mm -hmm. act and interact in the organization. Um, And it it impacts or influences how decisions are made and the actions, even on an unconscious level, that impact the well-being of the organization. So uh, with that in mind, why does culture matter in an organization? I think you know, that's a, before you can lead and sustain change, why does it even matter that you shape and have uh, control over how the culture is created? I'll jump in. 
I was I was thinking as you were talking earlier and you responded to something, John. Valerie, you said, um, how do we sustain culture? But I just suddenly had this like example pop into my head. So one of the things at our organization that a new person doesn't always understand, for example, and I'm just talking generally, is how we manage people who need help. And what I mean by manage is I don't mean control. I might be out at a synagogue or at a health fair and I hear and talk with somebody who tells me they need help or they're interested in a service. Mm -hmm. I do not say to that person that I'm talking with, you need to call Olivia or you need to call this number. Mm -hmm. I say may I have your number and have somebody call you? Mm. So to me, that philosophy of practice is part of our culture that not everyone comes into this organization being aware of or understanding or gets how important that is to our culture. So the very first time I am aware that someone has given someone else a a number to call without understanding their role in actually making that happen, obviously with the person's permission, you know, may I give you a number to so-and-so? Sure. Jenny, let me ask you to put Mm -hmm. a pen right there. Sure. We have to go to a short break. So I'm going to ask our audience to stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are 
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Thank you for staying with us for Leadership Matters. I'm Valerie Wright, the guest host for today. With us this hour, our wonderful co-hosts, John Janetta and Jenny Fruma. Today we're talking about leading and sustaining cultural change uh, within the organization. Um, and, Jenny, you were sharing with us an example of what you're doing in your organization. You want to finish yeah. that thought? Well, I, I was just you know, giving an example, Valerie, and thank you, about how, for example, new people might learn about the culture of our organization. And the example that I started talking about is really customer service, for, to say it a different way, mm-hmm. and how important it is that um, a customer or a client or someone just inquiring about information really only have to has, only has to have one touch It's like only has to make one call. Mm -hmm. Not that there might not be callbacks back and forth, but has to just have one contact at the organization and um, not be uh, given additional numbers or feel like they're being kind of, you know, there's an expression I'm not going to get correct, but being kind of bounced from pillar to post. Mm Mm-hmm. And how important that is for us as a culture. And I've been very fortunate having been here when I came to this organization, there were five professionals. And so I know that I have been an integral uh, culture carrier, if you will, (laughs) within the organization. And I think also that we were talking a little bit about this during the break, that I think that anybody, regardless of where they are in an organization, if they have any kind of leadership role, can in fact create or change or influence culture. Yes. yes. And I think the um, you know really the, the the leader or the leaders have. Um, I, I don't know that we always understand the the tremendous power we have over that shift because it it isn't just what we say; it's what we do. So in a way, we're constantly. Um, sending out the message about what our culture is because of the way that we act. And if we don't recognize that people are watching us all the time, we're we're really missing out because we are being watched all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I agree. And I think what I'm hearing as well is that there is a relationship even between culture and performance. And as we're being watched, it's shaping how people in the organization perform and what they believe they have to do within the context of the organization. Um, what I would ask is what, what are the greatest influences on the culture and the organization? How does, the, well, I, how does culture get influenced? Again, I think it's by the um, leader, leadership, um, setting the tone by how he or she acts and also how, how the expectations are defined and made clear to every employee at every level. Um, so it's, it's clearly stated and it's discussed frequently and it's modeled all the time and there's complete consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime there's inconsistency, then you're eroding what the culture ought to be and it's very confusing to people and then they begin to take it less seriously. Well, I'm not going to do it if he's not going to do it. 
um, that sort of a thing. So, so I think that's, and then of course, in, there are incentives that can reinforce the culture that you want. And I'm not talking about cash incentives because actually there's more and more research that shows cash incentives for this sort of thing actually cause worse performance, but other incentives in terms of um, training and um, recognition and autonomy and, um, you know, just having a sense that you're creating purpose. Yes. Jenny, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I, for some reason I'm having some really deep thoughts about this, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, one, of, one of which is I remember a uh, consultant once saying to me, he was on our board and he had got his Ph.D., during the 60s when organizational kind of learning and organizational development was just becoming a big thing. And I remember him saying to me, Jenny, do never underestimate, never underestimate the impact that you can have as a leader in an organization. And everyone is watching your every single move, even when you go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And that seemed so silly at the time, but now that we're having this conversation and, John, something, you know, that you said about how people really are watching and they're listening very carefully. And so the other thought that I feel is kind of profound right at this moment, and I'm not sure why, is language. Mm. It's really the language that we actually speak. So if we talk about it is our obligation as opposed to it's a requirement, Mm -hmm. you know, we really have an obligation to do this. It's our responsibility to respond to the community this way as opposed to we must or it's a requirement. I think even things like that start shaping culture. Yes, absolutely. I think language communications is, I think, key to how you shift and change culture because it is that language. It is what we say aligned with what we do um, that begin to shift the culture. So if I'm giving you um, all of this great speech about what the culture is, what it's becoming, but it's not aligned with, as you talked about earlier, John, how we are actually deporting ourselves within the organization as leaders, then there's there is the alignment piece again, and so if it's not aligned, Jenny, uh, with the philosophy of practice and with what our vision and mission is, then the language certainly doesn't mean anything, but when it is, it is a powerful tool as a part of that transformation. <laughs> right. I'm laughing because I'm remembering you know, relatively new employees asking questions like, am, you know, am I allowed or are we allowed to do this? And I go, Allowed? What do you mean by that? Right, but right. the language was so foreign. Yeah, but when you come from cultures where, you know, that's not given attention, then you, you, that's what you, that becomes your expectation in organizations. And I think that leads me to another question. What are um, the obstacles? What are, what are challenges in trying to transform the organizational culture. I've heard people say that organizational um, culture change is not for the faint of heart, that, you know, it takes courage. What, what do we face as leaders when we try to change cultures, uh, the culture of the organization? Well, I think the biggest thing is that it's having realistic expectations about it because it's not a quick thing. 
Yeah. It takes a long time to change a culture, so you have to just be patient with it. And it's going to take a lot of repetition when you figure most people need to hear something 17 times before they remember it. When you're trying to get cultural change, um, you're talk- talking about not just changing how people think, but how they behave. Um, it's going to be lots and lots of repetition, lots and lots of reinforcement, and that just takes time. And then there will be lots of situations that come up where you're not really quite sure how to, dilemmas, you're, if you will, not quite sure what to do um, because you want to make sure that you're handling it in the right way that's congruent with your culture, and a mistake, a mistake in that realm can set you back. And there will be setbacks because... We're all people. We all have weaknesses, and we can't always just do everything 100% right. John, what does the dialogue sound like? The dialogue of? Of needing to, like, almost recalibrate. Well, you know, for, for what, on a personal level, let's say, for example, in uh, the culture that we're trying to create that's trauma-informed, one of the ideas, one of the commitments or principles is this idea of safety, uh, depends on which model you're looking at. Sanctuary talks about a commitment to nonviolence. Uh, trauma-informed care, uh, cult, creating cultures of trauma-informed care talks about safety. But within those, I, within those concepts is this idea that work, where we work, it should, this should be a safe place. When people mm-hmm. come here, they should feel totally welcome and safe and mm-hmm. secure to be able to do the important work that they need to do, whether that's as an employee or a client, because it's important, it's tough work. And um, so, how do you make that happen? How do you have a safe place? Well, one thing is um, by not allowing any level of violence. And now you might think, well, we're not going to hit or what have you, obviously, and that hardly ever happens anywhere, right? But what about, uh, what about gossip? Isn't that violence? Of course it is. You don't talk behind people's back. And so, but think how hard that is to do um, all the time, to not gossip or not to raise your voice when you're frustrated or angry or, um, you know, to manage some of those emotions, particularly when you're working in a place where emotions tend to run high all the time because of the, just the vicarious nature of these situations that we're dealing with and as staff, we're taking some of that on. And so you have to learn lots of really good self-care strategies to let it go. And, and we're just not always 100% good at that. And so sometimes maybe um, in some situations we might say something in a way that we maybe we didn't really intend to, raise our voice a bit, or maybe we'll um, say something that's just not nice. And, and so those things happen. So the conversation then is, A, first of all, there has to be a conversation about it. You can't just then go talk to somebody else and say, do you know what she said to me? That's gossip, right? So now we're perpetuating the violence. So instead, what we have to do is acknowledge, first of all, that that really bothered me. And then secondly, you go back to the person and have a conversation about, you know, when you did this, this is how it made me feel. This is stuff we coach our clients on doing all the time. We just have to do it ourselves. And then at some point, uh, obviously, the person who did it has to understand that that wasn't right and make, and make an apology. But even probably more difficult sometimes is that we have to forgive people. We have to understand, you know what, people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. This happened to me. I'll, give, I'll use my own self as an example. I developed this internal leadership academy. Jenny, one of the first times I was on the show was as a guest, and you interviewed me about it. I remember that. Thank you. And I remember having a conversation. In the very first time that we had the program going, there were a couple seminar days that were optional. And what I t- the expectation to the people participating was, you do not have to participate in these sessions. However, if you choose not to, please let me know because I want to be respectful of the people I'm inviting here. And if I tell them 30 people are going to be there and only 10 are, that doesn't feel good to them because they're they're going to prepare quite a bit for this. And I want them to feel like this is a good use of their time. 
Um, and I don't want to print a bunch of stuff that doesn't get used that's just wasteful or order a bunch of food that doesn't get eaten that's wasteful, etc. And so the first session came where it was optional and we had a bunch of people who didn't show up. So I reiterated this conversation. And I also said, and even if it's a, not an optional session, if you're not going to come, please let me know because, again, you know, there's a lot of other factors at stake here and it's just not polite. It's not professional. So we had um, a seminar that focused on creativity and innovation on that particular day. There was like, and this was right after we had the conversation, there were like seven or eight people who didn't show up. Mm-hmm. I was so upset about it. And I, and I think we're probably getting the cue to take a, cue, uh, yes, take a break, so are. I will follow up with my thoughts later. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm asking our audience to please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back to the show, and thank you for staying with us for Leadership Matters. I'm Valerie Wright. I'm your guest host for today. And with me are John Janetta, Executive Director of Heartland Family Services, and Jenny Fuma with uh, Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Services. Welcome back. Uh, before the, we went to the break, John, you were giving us um, a scenario yeah. of one of the change and um, initiatives that you were involved in. So we want to pick up with that. So it, it really wasn't a change initiative. It's really more of the, uh, uh, a kind of a dialogue about how you, how you um, manage culture through your actions and conversations, right? So, mm-hmm. and I was, I had talked about how, um, 
it's important, at least in the culture we're trying to, to um, develop, that we have to understand when we, that we're going to make mistakes and admit them and then forgive each other for them, right, and move on. And so, um, so I... I was upset that a number of these staff didn't show up for this leadership program, and it, we, which we were holding at a, at another another site, another partner, not an agent. Well, I guess it was an art agency was hosting us. It was a day spent talking on creativity and innovation, and um, so they had planned for a much larger group than actually showed up, and it kind of made me look bad. It made the agency look bad, and I, I, the longer I sat there all day, the more upset it kind of made me. And so when I got back to the office, I fired off an email that was pretty terse. And um, and then you know come to find out well one 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 person runs a, one of our group homes had a kid who had to go to the emergency room who was there till like two o'clock in the morning I mean everybody had a it was just a, a perfect storm everybody had something going on if they could if they could have been there they would have been there mm-hmm. I just made some assumptions that were wrong and and I should have gone and talked to them I should have just sent off this really impersonal very cold and terse email to them. So one one program, and, and of course, these are people who don't report directly to me. They report to somebody who reports to me. So they're like, you know, down in the organization, and um, you know, what are the chances they're going to say something to me about it? Well, one one person did. A couple of the people actually did. So right away, I knew, boy, I really messed up. <laughs> so I went to them individually. I sat down in their office, and I I begged their forgiveness. Mm, yeah. Which I'm sure they, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm sure that I didn't get their forgiveness right away either. I mean, I'm sure, you know, immediately, generally, yes, but I certainly had to do some work to rebuild trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, if I can take one step further, because I'm wondering if the message of your email was, I can't trust you to be professional enough or professional to let me know what's going on, as opposed to, I'm a professional you should just know that if I don't show up or have the opportunity to let you know that I can't show up, you should trust that part yes. of me. My right. assumption should have been something horrible must have happened or they would have been there. Yes. So the message should have been one of concern, not of you let me down. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's the ladder of inference, right? We yeah. take one piece of data out of a pool of data and we make an assumption and then we get to the top of that ladder and take action. I also think that we let that sometimes we let our personal kind of stuff get in the way of mm-hmm. thinking about things more objectively. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where that that storytelling, Valerie, that you were talking about, comes into play. We we're all storytellers. We love stories, and so we just start right. making them up. In the absence of facts, we make up these stories. Right. And we talk about yeah. that a lot. It's, are we dealing with facts here? Or are we storytelling? And you know, all you have to do is write it down and start to go through it and look and see what of this, right. what of we're saying can actually be proven that we could really say is a fact. And nine times out of ten, half of the stuff on there you could you could highlight as not sure whether it's true or, or fiction. Right. Or take that piece of data that we made up the story about and actually go ask the person as you talked about earlier. Maybe just get get to the facts. <laughs> from the person who have them and I think that that it that's important in changing organizations how do we shift that um that behavior what are some other obstacles that we might encounter as we try to change um organizations the culture of the organization I I think resistance is a natural human response yes and so um 
I think of it more in terms of people joining our culture, but I can also think of ways that new, relatively new people have influenced our culture, as opposed to you, John, who came into an organization as a new CEO and really worked to change the culture. Mm-hmm. It's like two sides of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things we... we uh, obstacles to is just the intangible state of changing the culture. What is changing the culture? It's so intangible to a lot of uh, employees that it's not something you could touch and feel and see and check off in the sense of other things. How do you get past it just being something out there and not an assignment, not a project? How do well, you? I think it's really hard to describe culture. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure I can ever say the culture of the organization is. What I usually mm-hmm. say is um, we tend to be a culture that respects ABCD. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we, we really encourage advocacy mm-hmm. as an organization. Um, I don't know if I use the word culture a lot. Right. I really talk about expectations mm-hmm. I think you know that's that's kind of can related to that and what there's a, a created challenge then in that when when it's, you can't really pinpoint specifically what it is um, then it can be difficult to measure and it's hard to know then whether or not if you invest a bunch of time and money in something are you really going to get anything for it. And I think that's why so many organizations, public, private, nonprofit, for-profit, have tended to um, not pay enough attention to culture and focus instead on strategy and why, as we talked in our last episode, why Peter Drucker, he's often attributed with saying it, I guess maybe he didn't actually say it, somebody else did, but that quote, um, culture eats strategy for lunch. Mm-hmm. And um, people now are saying what he meant was, he wasn't trying to say that culture is more important than strategy, what he was trying to, he was trying to get people to wake up and pay attention that if you're only focusing on strategy, you're going to miss out. You've got to pay attention to culture too. It's equally important. Right. And I think when we're asking people to be a part of the change, and again, as you said, we can't articulate that we're, it's, it's fuzzy, which is what I meant by intangible. Uh, that makes it even more challenging because how do we help them grasp what's happening and become a part of it and own it and, you know, help make that change happen. And, you know, the other thing, too, is another barrier obstacle is that when you make a cultural change, that means something is changing. And as Jenny alluded to earlier, there's some people who really have a difficult time with change, but probably kind of related and maybe even more important is that there will be some people who just aren't going to change, not because they can't, but, but they just don't want to. Whatever the change is, isn't what they resonate with. It's not, it doesn't align with who they are, maybe. So, for example, what if you have an employee who's like just super prolific, very productive, does great work, but they're a lone wolf. They just do not get along with other people. They don't understand the concept of, you know, being nice, you know, it, it's it's sort of the idea, look, if you respect me, I'll respect you. But other than that, forget it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get my job done, and I'm going home, and that's all that's important to me. Now you have this culture. Now you're trying to create a culture where we all work together. We have to work as part of a team if we're really going to meet the needs of our customers. How does that person fit in? 
And it, even though they are productive, does it create a lot of drama and a lot of chaos and get a lot of other people focused on what's, what is dynamic instead of focused on what they could be doing to help their customers more? And so to what end are you really losing out because you're keeping somebody that you think is really productive but really could potentially be undermining a lot, of, a lot more productivity if only they weren't there? And at some point, then you have to come to the realization that, yeah, maybe if that is happening, that person needs to go. And that doesn't always feel good to usher out somebody who, in, in many other ways, is a very good employee. But in this one very important one now, they just aren't a fit. Or as that individual contributor, maybe th- to use Jim Collins' kind of you know, metaphor, they need to be in a different seat on the bus. Yeah, and that's always a, that's always a, an option. But that doesn't always work out, depending on what the cultural right. shift is and what ex- what behavior it is that you're expecting. Mm-hmm. I agree. If, right. If you just because can't, if 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 that's a critical behavior and it's really necessary, and they can't do it, and you know they can't do it, mm-hmm. it seems like for a, a long time we would kind of look the other way because there were so many other good things that were coming out of that person. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, again, you can undermine your whole effort if you say, "Well, but for that person, we're going to be okay with it," but everybody else, you you've got to hit a higher expectation. Now you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, and that's confusing. Right, and people will, people will respond to that because they see it and they call it out. Or as you say, it shows up in performance. It shows up in, in how others get influenced. I, I think sometimes it, we experience it as cynicism. Oh, we are changing, but we don't have to change. Um, and then that sends people back to old habits in terms of how, because they don't believe you, it's back to the trust issue. They don't believe that we're changing because everybody doesn't, isn't required to change. So yeah. why, do, why do I have to? Why do I need to? And then that impacts your ability to sustain change if, it's, if you aren't requiring others. So, I, I mean, it is a dilemma, but it's one that I think you have to address by moving the person on in the best um uh, kindest way possible, but in order for the culture to change to take place, we need to make that happen. I received a question from a caller I want to um, throw out to you all. Uh, it's from Bruce in Florida, and Bruce says, what are advantages and disadvantages to sustaining the culture of an organization? Well, I mean, I think if when you talk about sustaining the culture, I think if the assumption is that you want to you want to you want to sustain a culture that's helping you implement your strategy. So the advantage to sustaining culture is that it helps you do that if it's the culture that's going to get your strategy where you want it to be. If it's not, then there are more advantages with not sustaining the culture because you need something different. If that yeah. makes sense. Mhm. It does. Yeah. I think the other is that um when you do sustain that culture kind of like what we just talked about you improve employee satisfaction, uh, morale is increased, and, and you tend to retain employees who really want to see something different. I, you know, I think that's an advantage when you sustain the culture, when it's the culture you you want to achieve. Jenny, I think I heard you wanting to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, Bruce, I think it's a great question, um, and I think it is somewhat open-ended because it's assuming that you have a culture that you really want to sustain. I think that maybe I am cynical, as you suggested before, but I think that 
one never quite arrives. It, it's kind of a journey because the more you can sustain a culture, I think from a strategic perspective and really understanding mission, there is always more that we have to strive for. You know, there's, there's a Jewish proverb which uh, we spoke about values earlier and how culture is sometimes shaped by values and beliefs. There's a Jewish culture, I'm not going to get it quite right, but it, it translates its Hebrew from uh, ethics of our fathers. But basically what it says is, yours is not a job to do alone as it relates to tikkun olam, which is repairing the world. You don't have to do it alone. You probably cannot do it alone, but you also cannot desist from trying. And I think in terms of culture and values, it's you never quite get there because there's always more to be done. And so you, you can't say, you know, but we've done this and we've done that and we're really satisfied and we can now all sit back and just sustain what we have. Um, Jenny, we just had have to go to a commercial. I want to hold that because I want to come back and ask you then what are we talking about when we say sustaining change Mm -hmm. um, for leaders to sustain change um, in relation to your comment. Uh, We're going to a break. Please stay tuned. We'll be back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Thank you for staying tuned with Leadership Matters. I'm Valerie Wright, the host for today, joined by John Janetta and Jenny Fruma, both are regular co-hosts for Leadership Matters. Um, we were, before we went to the break, Jenny had um, had a, discussed uh, change in organization. Where I want to go now is to talk about what it means to sustain change. We were talking over the break about what it really means um, we often talk about sustaining change, but what does that really mean? And I want to ask John and Jenny to weigh in on um, your perspective on what it means to sustain change within an organization. Go ahead, John, because I finished up the last segment. Well, you know, Jenny, I, think, I thought it was interesting how you talked about, uh, for one thing, um, re- relating to sustaining the change. In this instance, we're talking about cultural change. You never really... Um, you never arrive. It's, there's always more to do. Um, it's, it was so interesting that you said that because last week when I interviewed um, Jean Moorhead, she said the exact same thing. <laughs> oh, I and feel I, like really like I'm special now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's <laughs> just, I was so it's, impressed it's, by It's not by a coincidence, her. I don't think, because I think when you have any experience trying to manage this kind of thing, that is that is the reality. You, you just really aren't ever done. And part of the reason for that is because it's not like you have staff that never leave and or that you're not growing and getting more new staff. So you, you have new people coming in, you have people leaving. And so there has to be a pro- process of transferring that culture from one person to the other and bringing onboarding somebody. And I mean, it, it takes a long time to get all that right. And then once, once you get close to where you want to be, the demands in the environment are changing, which means your strategy is changing. And so there has to be some changes to the how you're going to get there if you're going to get it done. And so it's just a constant, constant iterative process. And but I think the key part of sustaining is that you're just paying attention to it and re- again, like we said at the beginning, reinforcing, uh, being very clear about the expectations, and then reinforcing when you see that those expectations are being met, that you're reinforcing that message to everyone so that they understand this is what we want, this is what we don't want. Mm-hmm. And so how do you ensure that culture will last through growth and unplanned change? We know organizations now uh, operate in rapidly changing environments. There are all types of change that happen. The policy, funding, natural disasters, and it comes rapidly. We don't have time to prepare. How do you sustain the culture sh- changes through all of that? How do you keep an organization on track and aligned Mm-hmm. I think some of it is constant messaging, and I also think it is understanding the talent that you have within the organization and who you might engage to continue certain aspects of messaging. So you have this big crisis, you know, who can you bring on board? It may, it may not be the next natural or the next appointed leader that someone might think of as the next leader because in that kind of a crisis, you know, everything's up in the air and so who do you pull together and know, and really knowing your, in my opinion, knowing your employees and knowing what they can bring to the table. And I, I think it's, um, you know, again, making sure you're providing enough training so people can master the skills that you're looking for mm-hmm. um, and internalize them so that if your culture is based on somebody having to be watching people all the time to make sure they're doing it right, 
right. you really don't have a culture. Well, you have a culture. It's just a really negative, <laughs> it's a negative <laughs> pathway. And you, if, yeah. if you want a negative right. pathway, I guess that's your, your deal, but I can't imagine it being successful. You, you want a culture, you want to create a culture where those expectations become so internalized and so rote for your employees. It's just part of who they are. They don't have to think about it. It's just how you do it. Excellent. I like that. Um, and we always on this show ask about who, ask about the best leaders of our time. So, um, want to ask you, I guess, Jenny, to start with and tell us who do you see as one of the best leaders of our time around? Right. Um, I, was intervie- I was interviewed for an article um, locally here about a year and a half ago, and they asked me the same question. And at that time, I said Nelson Mandela, which is a really sad time right now. Yeah. And one of the reasons and why I think he was an extraordinary, extraordinary leader is I I myself was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in South Africa, although I've been here for 30 years in the United States. And what I, I still to this day am not quite sure as a leader how Nelson Mandela was able to really engage people. We've spoken about culture. We've spoken about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about messaging. We've spoken about communication. I, it's inconceivable to me, and I was not in South Africa during this period of time, but it's inconceivable me, to me how he was able to engage people in truth and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I still don't quite get it, but truly think that he is, um, was, is, will continue to be one of the extraordinary leaders, in, certainly in my time. Yes, I agree. I absolutely agree with what you said and think, um, you know, it's that intangible, that thing that he had that you can't bottle, but it's there and it's, it was very impactful. Mm-hmm. Don, you want to um, speak to the leader? Issues. Yeah, you know, um, I was thinking of Nelson Mandela too. I suppose just because he's been in the news so much. But I've always right. thought this about him. I've always, I was, I think the thing about him that oh, there's so much to to that would stand out that would impress you. But I think influences me all the time. And it gets back to the example that I gave earlier was his ability to forgive. And it started with the people guarding him. He, he I mean. You would think he was in that prison for, what, 27 years? 17 of them, he was breaking rocks. I mean, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. And yet, and these people that, that were, um, whose job it was, was to keep him imprisoned, white guys, um, who, you know, after uh, all this history of just really poor treatment at, the, at, at, at their hands, instead of being really resentful for who they were and who they represented, he understood early on that they were illiterate. And, and so not only did he forgive them, but he actively worked to improve their lives by teaching them how to read and write. I mean, to me, that's just phenomenal. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I, for me, I, the leader would be uh, Desmond Tutu. And I, those two leaders, I think, have that same spirit. And one of the things that Desmond Tutu I read that he said is if I diminish you I diminish myself and I think that was how um, Nelson Mandela lived if not saying it but certainly his life bore that out and the fact that what he said his words matched his deed how he lived the humility that he asked of all of the South Africans he lived in his own life and I think often that's that's what make a leader great when his words and the deeds are heard 
words and deeds match and that um, they live in humility even when they're doing great work, you know, when they're able to forgive, as you talked about, even their oppressors. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's in both of them, and I, I totally agree that they were excellent leaders. Any final thoughts on um, our topic today or uh, any uh, resources you can refer to our listeners in terms of how they can learn more about culture, culture change? Um, you know, the thought that I, I really am taking away from today, and I've really enjoyed doing this with you, Valerie, as host today, and you, John, as co-host, um, always enjoy working with the both of you, is how important culture is to an organization and that it's not one person's job. In some ways, it's everyone's job. But there, there is the underlying um, kind of girth, if you will, the foundation is really values mm. and really belief systems and how we act to fulfill and align that with our mission. Mm-hmm. I heard the music. This show's going to wrap up. John, you want to give us our final thought? I'll, I'll just say I echo that, and thank you so much, Valerie, for hosting today, and uh, what a pleasure it was um, talking with you and with you too, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Thank you both for making this a easier job than I anticipated. Uh, enjoyed having both of you and your insights that you shared, and we ask our audience to join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solution. And you can join the conversation by calling 866-472-5789 or emailing leadershipmatters at innovision.org. Thank you for a great show, John and Jenny, and I look forward to working with you again. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.